When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Slice of Cheese with Jenny Linford on Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com and specialist food retailers. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. Hello, welcome to A Slice of Cheese the Food FM radio series that celebrates the world of cheese. I'm Jenny Linford, a food writer and cheese enthusiast, the author of Great British Cheeses. Cheese is a delicious and fascinating food, and we're setting out to explore this remarkable food and share the stories of the people who make, sell and love it. Fresh cheeses are the babies of the cheese world. The term is used to describe cheeses which haven't formed a rind. It's a family of cheeses that ranges in texture from soft cream cheese to cheeses such as feta, which are brined, giving them a firmer texture. I talked to fresh cheesemaker Tim Homewood of Homewood Cheeses. Turkish food writer and cookery teacher Oslan Warren tells me of the delights of Turkey's Bayez Paneer. I discuss cream cheese, bagels and cheesecake with chef and food writer Denise Phillips. And Italian food writer Giulia Scappaleggia gives me an insight into mascarpone and how it's used to make that famous Italian dessert, tiramisu. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com and specialist food retailers. This week on A Slice of Cheese, we're looking at fresh cheeses, the babies of the cheese family. I'm very happy to have with me today Tim Homewood of Homewood Cheeses. Good morning, Tim. Good morning. Tim, thank you very much for taking time to join us because I love your answer phone message which says, we haven't picked up the phone, it's because we've got our hands in way, <laughs> which takes yes. gives a, a sense of, of how busy cheesemakers are making cheese. Tim, tell me what, what took you down the cheesemaking road. Tell me a little bit about Homewood Cheeses and your story. Right. Uh, well, we've been going for about 14 years now. Uh, it's just my partner and myself. I started making cheese for a couple of other companies probably about 20 years ago. My background is catering, and mm-hmm. I used to steal a particular cheese off a cheese board, then I ended up making it. <laughs> um, just strange connections. Um, one of the chefs I used to know, I used to work at the castle in Taunton, one of the chefs there uh, started his own business, and he was next to a unit where they used to make yogurt, and they weren't using it anymore, and he told me about that. And uh, we went to have a look at it to start up on ourselves got talking to the owner and she passed me on to a, a milk supply and so we just started off straight away with sheep's milk so that's interesting because sheep's milk cheeses are relatively unusual in britain really nowadays you know they're more coming onto the market was that was it because you could use used milk that that took you down that road then well yes um it was the first contact i was really given we phoned up the farm and uh, went down and had a chat they agreed they could give us some milk. And uh, I wasn't particularly going to just settle on sheep's milk. Uh, it just ended up that way. Um, from that farm, we did some work with um, the Sheep Dairy and Association. 
and we picked up another farmer that we still use today. And also through him, we picked up another farmer that we still use today. Yeah, are, they so it's just, are they close to you, these farms? So it's quite uh, not as close as they used to be. Tom, unfortunately, moved away. Drat. last. <laughs> yeah, he moved away last um, April. But we still use him. Yeah, and uh, Phil delivers every week. Well, Lovely. he delivers because it's very seasonal, the milk. He delivers. Yes. We've had his first delivery today. We'll oh, be using oh gosh, him busy. now. So this is so interesting. So you've sort of, you know, you've you've gone into cheese making, and how? So making a fresh cheese. One of the things I wanted to say to some listeners is, is fresh cheese in a way is the cheese that you could make yourself at home, isn't it? That family of cheese because, you know, like I've made paneer, which is you know an Indian fresh cheese by by curdling milk with lemon juice. But I'd be interested to hear from you. You know. How do you, what took you, why did you start making a fresh cheese? And, and tell us how you, how you make it, Tim. I sort of started making the fresh cheese uh, by accident, almost. Um, I was hoping to make another cheese when we first started our business. And, uh, but to start off with, you need to have a, a build-up of tests and records for environmental health before you can sell. And so we thought we'd make some fresh cheese to start off with, because we can make that relatively easy and uh and get going um but you have to wait a couple of weeks to get your backlog sorted out and um so we just thought we'd make some fresh cheese it's a very good way of judging how the milk behaves yeah uh, seeing how things go how do you make your your fresh used cheese then well basically i get the milk in uh so i have the milk in i heat it i do thermize the fresh at the moment uh right. so that's not quite pasteurizing it's under pasteurization uh so we heat it chill it uh basically i had a starter culture uh-huh. i had a t- tiny bit of uh rennet and i leave it overnight and it's right. just uh left overnight a fairly warm room the next day i will strain it and then the next day i will salt it and then that's it it's ready to sell wonderful and so and it's got your cheese got a lovely texture it's got a lovely sort of cloudy cloudiness to it. it's that interesting thing where it was actually sort of light and rich at the same time i felt um is that something that you try and it doesn't always happen like that uh, but no that is what i'm aiming for it is even though it's the most simplest cheese i do it is also the cheese that i can quite often have a slight problem with um oh, that's interesting what sort of uh, things go generally it, yeah or it, it just won't set oh, wow. uh, okay. and that's a lot to do with temperatures in the room and stuff mm. but uh, i have a real this time of year it's really tricky where it's colder at night but we can have a beautiful sunny day and it feel quite warm so it kind of fools you into thinking that you're in a slightly better temperature than we are right. actually so um, it gets easier in the summer months is it to get it it does though we yeah. then also have the problem that it could be too hot so <laughs> it's can't, can't win. It's the constant life of a cheesemaker, isn't it? Just it all the, is. Yeah. All the logistical challenges all the time. So that, yeah. That, funny enough, you know, there's the consumer we just buy it and have no idea quite how much effort has gone into it. When we first started, I had a very Heath Robinson attitude to it all. I had a lovely little incubator room. I used to throw things in, run away, and it'll be fine overnight. When we moved seven years ago to our new unit, we also changed. We were going from a flock that wasn't milked all year. We were doing, dealing with a flock that was very seasonally milked. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are times of the year that the milk is quite different, almost because sheep's milk is naturally homogenized. You can't separate the fats. 
at times of the year you can. Oh. And, uh, and that's a little tricky stuff. So it is a very simple cheese, very easy to do, but it does need attention. Yes. That's, and how do your customers enjoy using it? What do you, I mean, do you find chefs using it, for example? Yes. yes. When we first started, not a lot of people knew about it. I mean, it's the kind of cheese that's known throughout the world. I have a customer now from Venezuela who, who ah. raves that it's like cheese from a her, her homeland. And yeah. um, I, 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 a nice Scottish lady who thinks it's very much like her Crowdy. Ah, that's uh, Crowdy's a famous fresh cheese, yeah. Yeah, so there was not a lot of the English didn't know a lot about it. But uh, we we started off just selling it from a bowl, and now we sell it in pots. And uh, but we have a lot of customers who bring their own pots to market and stuff. Um, and we sell kilos of it to the chefs. Um, when we did start first time, we used to give out recipes on how to use it um, and stuff. And we used to, uh, well, we still do. We make cheesecake as well with it, which used to be a way of saving up, of using any leftover cheese or any excess cheese. Yep. Whereas now we have to put the cheese by, especially for the cheesecake. So <laughs> right. That's interesting. Are you selling, we should say where you're selling, in case someone listening wants to come and buy some. Where, where do you sell your... In the West Country mainly, we sell a North Lot into Bristol. Oh, nice. uh, we also deal with Fine Cheese Company and Dalesford have it occasionally and Gloucester Services have it. Um, oh, nice. But where you can buy it off us personally here in Ubley or at Bar Farmers Market every Saturday. I bet so your customers have got a, as you say, it's an unusual thing, you know, to have a fresh, a fresh sheep's milk cheese. It's quite unusual in British cheese culture in a way. And, but you've managed, you've created a following for it then. So you've got customers who are obviously keen then. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's quite versatile. Use it sweet and savoury quite happily. We use it in all sorts. Um, finish off risottos with it instead of ah. butter. This time of year with the rhubarb just come in, I will quite happily have it with roasted rhubarb and a little bit of stem ginger juice just to loosen it. It's almost yeah. like an instant cheesecake. Yes, and that's very nice. Yeah, my father-in-law would love that. He's a rhubarb lover. I, I tried your cheese. I Yes, I put, I made like a crostini with, I spread it on, you know, nice sourdough and topped it with um, cherry tomatoes and basil and a bit of olive oil. And, and it's got that, because it's got a lovely flavour to it. That's what struck me about your cheese. It had a lot of flavour to it, despite being, this, you. you know, in a very gentle way. But there was, there was flavour and... And I put some, I had some in a salad, which was very nice. And also put some into a quiche with um, with leeks and it sort of held its texture. Uh, yeah, really nicely, actually. So it is, yeah, really versatile. It is. And we're coming, well, we're in Lent at the moment, but at the end of uh, Lent at Easter, we make a pasha. And we only make it Easter weekend. And uh, yeah, quite a following for it. That's quite a lot of work. I've never made one, actually. It looks, it looks amazing from what I've seen. Well, it is. It's a lot of ground almonds, butter and uh, mixed peel and stuff. Uh, we do do a slight cheats version because it's potted for the market. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a real treat, a real Easter treat. Yeah, that's so lovely, isn't it? And so if you're working with a seasonal farmer, but now, what, but now you've got year-round supply of milk then, have you? Um, well... <laughs> The, the the farm who came today will will milk with him till sort of October. Uh, with regards for the fresh cheese, it uh, the yields change mainly. It it tends to be quite consistent as the evening temperatures get better. But uh, yes, I I will get quite a healthy yield from it now. As I said, sheep's naturally homogenized, um, and probably get 
for my milk uh, four times what I would if I was using cow's milk. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, because you don't get... Obviously, sheep are small, so you get less milk, but the milk is very good for cheesemaking, isn't it? It's so, lovely. Uh, yeah, wonderful. Oh, well, that's brilliant. Well, thank you, Tim. It's so nice to hear. Thank you for taking time away from busy cheesemaking to talk to us. It's been great to talk to you, and it's lovely. So this is t- Homewood Cheese's Fresh Used Cheese, which is absolutely delicious. I do recommend it. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye, Tim. Thank you. Thank you. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Very happy to have with me indeed Oslem Warren, who is a wonderful Turkish food writer and cookery teacher. If you look at her posts on Insta, they are guaranteed to make you hungry. Good morning, Oslem. Good morning and merhaba, as we say in Turkish, which means ah. hello. <laughs> merhaba to you. How lovely to have you on the show. And this week, Oslem, we're, we're looking at sort of fresh cheeses, that's cheeses that don't have a rind, this whole family of cheese, for, for a slice of cheese. And I wanted to talk to you about Beyaz Peniyar in Turkish cookery. Perhaps you could tell us, to start with, tell us what that is and how the name translates. Sure. Um, first of all, many thanks for having me. I loved listening to your podcast. So it's such a pleasure to be here <laughs> and talking about Beyaz Peniyar. It's incredible. Um, it is a massive part of Turkish diet. Um, it is the most popular cheese, uh, I can confidently say, at home in Turkey. And in the dispensable part of Turkish breakfast, every breakfast does start with some Beyaz Peniyar white cheese as well as some olives and whatnot salads on the table and uh, as you can perhaps um, notice the name peynir is very similar to the name paneer which is mm. the indian version of the of the cheese and turks uh, were nomads they lived in central asia uh, from four to six centuries um, um, and they had a lot of interaction not only with the Mongolians, the Chinese and of course the Indians and then you know uh, with that influence um, I would imagine the name uh, derived to and, and, and then they started moving towards westwards with, and they made Anatolia, today's Turkey, as their home oh. but it's a very diverse cuisine uh, and painter is a massive part of it. Right. So is it, um, so tell us about, is it made from particular milks or is it, is it a mix? Would it have been sheeps or goats historically maybe? It is uh, mainly produced sheep or cow milk. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, it is, it really is the, some of them is with sheep, some of them with cow. And it, Turkey is quite a, um, quite a fascinating vast land and we have um, different regions, uh, different climates. So depending on where it's produced, the taste could be relatively different. For instance, when it's produced in the, in the northern part, in the Marmara region, and a trace, which is very popular, it could be a little bit harder due to the harsh, you know, climate whereas in the um in the, on the Asian or mediterranean coast it could be much lighter and softer um but usually it's very creamy it's similar to feta but i'm uh, You're biased in its favor <laughs> yeah i'm so sorry i think i am but uh but you know growing up with painter you tend to be a little bit choosy a little bit yeah not, not, i wouldn't say snobbish but we know the real thing right <laughs> so yeah. Well, of course, I mean, it's one of the uh, fascinating things, isn't it, about food? And especially, you know, the food of your country has so much, and even those subtle, subtle differences that perhaps somebody else just wouldn't notice. But you'll notice that difference, won't you? So, yeah, yeah, you really that's do. Really and interesting. To, 
to be honest, I mean, I, I lived, I started living abroad um, as of early 2000s and for 30 years I lived in Turkey, Istanbul. My roots go back to ancient Antioch, which they make another version of gorgeous beyaz peynir called jara peyniri, uh, almost like stringy cheese that they, oh. they breed. And, and, you know, and the unsalted version of it could go into our kunefe, kataifi dessert, a oozy, gorgeous melted cheese, but unsalted <laughs> Version. So, I mean, and go to um, Asian region, there's almost like a ricotta style soft unsalted cheese that you oh. could have it as a spread on your bread or you could have it with some jam. Um, so it is, you know, um, a, a huge variety of um, culinary delight that... So even if with, within Turkey, if I was travelling around, you know, it's, it's such a huge country, and I would taste, I would come across these different regional variations. Then, even though the one honestly, name is honestly, used. you yeah. will go mad, uh, Jenny. It is uh, you, if you go to the south southeast part of Turkey, uh, eastern part, to be honest, around Kayseri area. I mean, they are. I mean, we, we're talking about soft cheese today, but they're very famous. They're Gruyere-style cheese. In one, in uh, near to Mount Ararat region, they add um, herbs and spices to it. They call it otlu peynir, uh, herby cheese. Mm. So they incorporate that kind of thing. So whatever that region is growing in terms of herbs and spices and whatnot, they could be included or um, you know mixed with the mixture now, of the cheese. Let's get back to this idea that you would start your day with Beyaz mm. So what what would be so it'd be part of a Turkish breakfast, but with other oh, would it be with other Let me paint you a it? picture. Yes, please do. <laughs> <laughs> Turkish breakfast is my absolute favourite you know, food of the day. Honestly, it is such a spread that I look forward to that as soon as I'm home. So you would have a variety of cheese, beyaz peynir included. It could be cheddar cheese, kaşar peyniri, beyaz peynir. could uh, also a stringy cheese we call dil peyniri. So it's almost like mozzarella, not buffalo mozzarella, but the stringy, the, the, the grated one, but ungrated version, if, 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 it's, um, if you can understand that, a sliced mm -hmm. sort of mozzarella kind uh -huh. of thing that you would put on sandwiches um, you would have um, cucumbers tomatoes spring onions salads and um, being from Antakya where I'm from uh, ancient Antioch at the southern part of Turkey we use I mean it's a land of olives olive oil and whatnot so you'd have different olives and mm. um, marinate with zahtar drizzle with pomegranate molasses mm. uh, we would have eggs done different ways and one of the popular ones is called menemen which is ah, scrambled yes. Turkish style egg Delicious. with peppers and onions and tomatoes we would have have honey we would have a clotted cream which is quite interesting Turkish clotted cream is called kaymak but that is a real um, rich real um, sort of heart um, clotted cream that is made from the milk from the water buffalo ah, it is such a delight you could actually have a slight you can have slice it with a knife and fork it is <laughs> utterly delicious Homemade gems, honey, simmered sesame um, oh, coated bread. Oh, love that! Yeah, <laughs> it is wow. a feast. And would, and, but would the paneer, the um, the beyaz paneer, would that is that used as a, in cooking as well as just sort of eating in this? Indeed, sort of, yeah. indeed. What so, sort of dishes, Rosalind? Hmm. Yeah. So uh, we would add beyaz paneer, for instance, in menemen when we make our scrambled eggs as part of the breakfast. We would have beyaz peynir in almost literally every savory pastry. We call it börek. Oh. 
Burek is uh, almost like uh, uh, a common wor- word now. I mean, t- thanks to Instagram, I see all my Balkan friends, <laughs> of yes. course, make their own version of savory pastries, yeah. Burek. So it could be combined with spinach. It could be combined with mashed potato or uh, parsley uh, mm. in a savory dish. Uh, it could be a tray baked burek with filo pastry in and around the middle. It could be wrapped around a fruit triangle. So we would always have that as a burek or gözleme, a very oh, famous street. Gözleme is amazing, oh, isn't it? Yes. So. I just explain, love that. Explain what that is in case someone hasn't tried them. Sure. Yeah. So gözleme is a really uh, special and much-loved street food that is uh, flatbreads griddled on a great big um, round um, uh, open cooking pans, I suppose. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you will uh, uh, see that in street markets are pazar. So in that, um, there could be spinach, cheese, mashed potatoes, sometimes meat. Uh, sometimes only herbs, uh, depending on what's in season and what's available. But uh, as a you know, uh, as a cheese, beas peynir would be definitely up there in the filling. It's gorgeous, really, is gorgeous. Um, not only that, but we would also um, use it in in the actual cooking for main courses, like for instance, karidesküvech, a shrimp casserole with tomatoes, oh. um, mushrooms, peppers. One of the favorite recipes actually with my readers too um, and we would top beyaz painter sometimes a bit of grated um, cheddar too kashar and we would bake in the oven so would the cheddar be there for flavor then is that because to add extra a little extra yes flavor? Goo- yeah. right. ooziness and flavor and whatnot yeah. we might sometimes top our casseroles we call it güvec uh, either vegetable based or it could be at add, add, uh, meat added to it um, and also, as uh, as I explained previously, in in Antakya, where my my home hometown in southern Turkey is famous for the künefe kadayifi uh, mm. sweet, which is um, uh, cooked um, the, the almost like shredded dough, uh, almost it's like vermicelli. Kadayifi, mm. so mm. yes, it looks like sort of shredded wheat to an English. You know, Absolutely. When it's very, Absolutely. very fine little threads of pastry. Very and it fine. Makes wonderful Almost, desserts, doesn't it? It's yeah. incredible. Almost like vermicelli style, but it's softer. It's not um, yes. hard. Um, yeah. And I remember vividly, you know, my grandma had this 450 year old ancient home in um, ancient Antioch, mm. and there was a great big marble table in the courtyard where all the action happened in terms of cooking. <laughs> yeah, um, so, yeah. you know, my, my grandma would soak the butter. Uh, the vermicelli pastry, kunefe uh, pastry mm-hmm. with the butter and really uh, melted well. And then, you know, um, so you have a n- nice layer of, very thin layer of that buttered pastry on the pan. Then you would um, s- scatter the unsalted uh, painter. I yes. could say unsalted, almost like ricotta cheese or softer mm. white white cheese, beyaz painter mm-hmm. to it. Sometimes kaimak added to it are thick clotted cream and uh-huh. another layer of that lovely buttered künefe. And then we would take it into the bakery to bake it because in Antakya, ah. 
the bakeries, like the community's oven, you know, they bake your yes. bureks, oh, they bake brilliant, your... brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's incredible. Stay, still today, it is like that, which is Well, because they really have a big special. oven that was always on the go then, is that the Absolutely. The and it saves Absolutely. fuel, obviously, because one, one oven. Very sensible, isn't it? I mean... Very, I very community-based, you know. Yes, I was just... We said the same word. Yes, community. Yeah. <laughs> How interesting. Oh, fantastic. Gosh, that must have tasted... And would, they, would there be a syrup poured over that afterwards? Indeed, or not, or indeed. Oh. So you, you yeah. would... Um, Traditionally, baklava. I'm uh, sorry, as well as baklava, it's the same uh, technique. The, yep. the the kunefe needs to be piping hot, whereas the syrup to be drizzled over needs to be cold to absorb and whatnot. Yes. So you would prepare a lovely fragrant syrup. Mine usually is much sweeter than. <laughs> The traditional ones at home, you know, living abroad, um, I, you know, my taste buds a little bit um, uh, and also growing graciously, ah. I suppose. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we do love our sweet stuff. But, yeah. you know, one of the things I always say also with baklava is that it is always flaky. It is always much lighter than you would have in in a commercially found places abroad um, because you really want to taste the cheese. You really want to taste ah, the nuts. Yes. And would that syrup be flavoured with rose water, orange flower water? Very good like question. That? You know, I teach cookery classes in wonderful places like Amman, Jordan. And, and you know, when you go there, they do. They add cardamom or rose water oh, and whatnot. Okay. And Levant yeah. in Middle East, mostly. Right. In, in Turkey, we are very purist on that. We don't oh. tend to add much, but we right. do add a bit of lemon. Lemon oh, nice. not only adds yeah. a nice sort of refreshing taste, but mm -hmm. also thicken the syrup a little bit uh, oh. when you squeeze it. Um, so I do that. Yeah, a bit of lemon, but not much of anything right. else, to yeah. be honest. So you're letting again, you said about the actually tasting the cheese and then it's tasting the pastry, that lovely buttery, the Absolutely. of the pastry. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. The whole idea with the cuisine is that really to highlight that vegetable or cheese or... Um, you know, whatever you're cooking, rather than hiding it behind sauces or spices, just gentle flavouring. And so it's interesting, so obviously Bayer's paneer is very flexible, which in fact, if you, if you think about this family of cheese, if you think of cheeses like ricotta in Italian cooking, yeah. you know, it's used in a very, in sweet and savoury dishes, you know, it's got that versatility because it's Indeed. a very gentle, and it's the lightness of texture, it's very much a, a textural thing in Italian cooking, ricotta. Is that So that sounds as though... The panier, that's also one of the pleasures of, of Bayard's panier, that it's it's about the texture that it gives to a dish. It really is. It has this lovely, um, it, you know, it is, um, it is, it's lovely crumbly, but never harsh. It also, um, as you say, you know, it has a lovely, lovely texture to it that you, you know, it's almost like um, melts, melts in your mouth once it's baked, but also crumbles mm. beautifully in your mm. mouth when, when it's fresh. And also it, it really pairs so well with a drizzle of olive oil over it. And, you know, sometimes when we serve, you might add a little bit of pul biber, Turkish sort of Aleppo pepper. It's also mm -hmm. called uh, Turkish um, red pepper flakes yeah. um, for a freshness, some, a little bit of dried mint sometimes, a little bit of oregano or zahtar for a bit more exotic taste of uh, southern Turkish flavors. Um, and it really, it just takes all those flavors really well as a, as a base. Is it a cheese that people make at home in Turkey or would you buy it? Would it just be so readily available that you would just buy it? You know, to be honest, it is so readily available um, all around the country. People mostly tend to, but 
go Anatolia, the heartland uh, country. I'm sure the village the ladies would be making their own Beyaz right. painter and also saving, uh, you know, the leftovers to make the softer, softer version, almost like ricotta style cheese, which we actually call it lore painter. Lore is almost like uh, ricotta. It is uh, created when the whey is released during the... right production of the yeah. of the cheese um yeah. and uh, and the result is a really lovely sort of unsalted wonderful wonderful cheese a uh, soft cheese and we usually have it over a spread of bread we might have a bit of walnuts uh, by the side it is fantastic used in burek in savory pastries because if you're sort of conscious about your salt intake you mm. um for instance, I remember my grandma would prefer lore uh, because it is more of a unsalted version ah, of it. Yeah, and it's um, rather than Beyaz, but Beyaz is a real, you know. Um, so Beyaz is, is it matured in, is it put in brine to keep it? Is in that, brine, what, indeed, yeah. yeah. So that yeah. must give, which, of course, if you think of salt, how, the, how salt acts, you know, on textures, it draws that moisture. So you can sort of see they would firm up if you put a very soft, fresh curd into brine. It's yeah, going to act absolutely. on that, isn't it? And absolutely. create a different texture. Yeah. Usually they say about 90 days they mature in salted water. Right. And it and it is, uh, and the Turkish watches has high fat content uh, in it, which makes it soft and smooth. Uh, oh. Whereas low fat uh, if versions are harder, a bit similar to feta here. Yeah. So, um, I mean, in Marmara region and the, in the northwest is uh, really, it's very very uh, produced trace Marmara region, but go to other parts of Turkey, you'll see different variations in you know aging. And do you find? Can you buy it? Can you buy it in the UK, Oslo? Indeed. Um, oh yeah. gosh, yeah. I'm yeah. delighted. Well, my favorite brands are all here, which is, which is wonderful. I mean, there's a brand called Punar that I love, and there's and and you know they really capture the essence, essence of it. And I suppose you know back in ten, uh, fifteen. 20 years ago uh, when I started living abroad it wasn't in this case yeah. but now really is um, we could really get a lot of good Turkish it's ingredients. It's very exciting yes I've had because I grew up living in lots of countries abroad including Italy and Singapore and then very nostalgically trying to find ingredients in London you know a long decades ago it was so much harder and it's love it's such a great feeling when it's a food you love from your homeland that you can then buy abroad it's a great oh yes hugely. <laughs> hugely. we lived in uh, we lived in austin texas for six years which was an incredible experience and it's austin is as as um uh i suppose as um diverse as you can get in texas because it's a great big university there yeah um but you know even compared to, to that I, I think we are very lucky in the uk we have such a diversity in terms of the ingredients that we can get hold of to uh, you know, you can find bulgur and, you know, all various yes. of cheese and whole grains and whatnot. Um, yeah, we just need to fix the that. weather sometime to get the sunshine in. But <laughs> even <laughs> that, I'm not complaining because I love Four Seasons. Yes, no, it's very beautiful. Well, it's awesome. As, as I knew you would, I am now like desperate to go to Turkey, desperate to eat Turkish food. So um, it was a real pleasure to have you on A Slice of Cheese. Thank you so much for coming on, Oslim. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. It's, I love your podcast and it's been a real pleasure to talk about Beyaz Cheese with you. Thank you for having me. Take care. Thank you, Oslin. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'm a huge fan of Peter's Yard's crackers, and they go beautifully with cheese. All Peter's Yard's crackers are made in small batches, using quality natural ingredients and their sourdough starter, 
slowly fermented for 16 hours for award-winning flavour and crunch. Visit petersyard.com forward slash shop, enter the code slice of cheese at the checkout to receive 25% off your first order. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com and specialist food retailers. This week on A Slice of Cheese, very happy to welcome to the show Denise Phillips, professional chef and cookery writer. Hello, Denise. Hello, Jenny. And Denise, this week we're looking at fresh cheeses, which are cheeses that don't have a rind. And among those cheeses are cream cheese. And I wanted to talk to you about about sort of the role of cream cheese in Jewish cuisine. I used to live near Temple Fortune and I would go make a point of going to Daniel's Bakery and buying bagels to enjoy with cream cheese. It was like, you know, really sort of classic, iconic sort of experience for me. Do you have those sort of memories? Did you grow up eating bagels and cream cheese? Well, I do, but it was also in Daniel's this week myself, by <laughs> enjoying the bagels. A little a sort of, if anyone spotted me, I was there. But to be perfectly honest, it's like a marriage made in culinary heaven. Bagels and cream cheese just really go together. It is probably one of the ultimate Ashkenazi delicacies. That, that is the Jewish people that have heritage coming from northern Europe. So we're talking about the Eastern Europe, Polish, you know, descendants, um, those sort of areas, Eastern Europe. This is what it, it is really a cuisine where Ashkenazi is an area where it was cold and, you know, the climate was warm. So cuisine reflects that. Yes, that's so fascinating because Jewish cuisine has these such sort of diverse elements to it, doesn't it? Brilliant. And, sorry, and you were just about to say, which I totally agree with you, marriage made in heaven. <laughs> um, yes, carry on with that theme. Green cheese is used not say just on the bagels, but it's used in making the filling for cheese blintzers, which are pancakes. And uh, they're also used in rugelach, which is, a, say, um, a sweet dough um, and sort of twisted with often with chocolate and cinnamon in it as of course as well as cheesecake now coming up in the jewish calendar there is a festival where dairy is the main feature Um, and this year it falls on the evening of the saturday the 4th of june it is called shavuos Um, it is a time when we we receive the ten commandments but dairy food is the main type of food that we use and it's got lots of symbolism mm. and i could share that if you know a little bit if you want yes. but that's yes. where that's where it is a big feature in our calendar and the main main reason and i don't want to get too technical with it, but the main reason is we did receive the ten commandments and at that time the jewish people were ignorant of the laws of what kosher so it was easy to have a dairy food diet um because of the rules of meat we can't have milk and meat together and they received the Ten Commandments on the Sabbath and you can't cook and you couldn't slaughter the animals. So all those things, it was just easier to have dairy. And as you know, all these time goes by, um, cheesecake became one of the main features. So that is why we have dairy then. Right. I wanted to ask you, Denise, what, because there's cream cheese and cream cheese, isn't there? Have you got, are there, you know, tell me, is that like, you know, sometimes I'm making an effort to buy curd cheese because I find it gives a really nice result in a cheesecake. Is that the sort of thing that people might be doing? Very much do? so. Um, right. It, it isn't the regular supermarket packet 
of cheese. It is a soft curd cheese, which has a completely different texture. It is creamier, it's less cloying, and it has a great, I say the texture works very well in cheesecakes, but all other, you know, dairy cakes, whereas it's sweet and savory. I mean, when we think of cheesecake, you normally think sweet, but mm. I've got an amazing recipe for a salmon cheesecake, and it is a it's just a great oh. main course. It's made with fresh salmon and smoked salmon, and it is divine, and and just works really well for that time for that particular festival. So we all think about cream cheese, but we also think cream cheese and smoked salmon. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, of course we do. Yeah, that's a classic. Yeah, yeah, that is another delicious combination, isn't it? What is it that they add? So they're adding what a sort of softness and a, cream cheese is adding a softness and a richness then to two dishes is that how it's used well they, they are they also contrast really well um so a blinzer is the pancake you could put all sorts of things and we've just had pancake day or the side but mm. blinzers um are you know an, an initially a regular pancake and you fold them into a square and very often just uh, add some lemon juice and some c- cinnamon and they keep it keep it quite plain um but, but i i feel that it it's the kind of texture when you bite into it, it, it works well as opposed to you wouldn't want a, a salty cheese. You wouldn't want a cheese with a... It just doesn't work. Um, so the cream cheese is the right type of cheese for it's that really kind of yes. recipe. I think there are these fresh cheeses, you know, they're very delicate in flavour and they're very, very versatile, aren't they? It's one of the things that, you know, actually we've... Um, I did a, an episode for the, for the slice of cheese on paneer, which is another uh, it's, it's another fresh cheese. And in fact, you can make it yourself at home. And and it's got and one of the things that comes up a lot when I talk about cheese in this series is the, is the idea of texture, the importance of the texture that the cheese has, and a, a real sort of specificness of you know of of you know a fresh paneer has got a different texture from a shop bought paneer. Which, which you know the Indian food writers I was talking to were telling me about was you know was real emphasis for them that was really important, um, and I think it does sound like that. So again, this is a lovely thing about this. This it is a particular texture and a sort of and a gentle flavour which you can take down different roads, which makes it very versatile. Then, well, I also have a great other recipe. It's actually a lakshan pudding with made sweet, um, and that uses a cream cheese and soaked raisins. Um, sometimes in alcohol with blueberries, and that works very well with eggs and the cream cheese and th- that for this particular festival. But the cream cheese, I'm not sure. I've, it, it actually came from New York, to be honest, as a result of the disaster. Like many cheeses, they they became what they are as a result of something going wrong. It was actually the creation of <laughs> William Lawrence. Um, he, say, he wanted to make Neuf Chatel, a crumbly, tangy cheese. And in error, he actually was, uh, he was Jewish and, um, and wanted to um, make this cheese. But accidentally, he, he put too much cream and created a richer, more spreadable cheese, which eventually known as the cream cheese. So he was trying to create what was popular back in Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. And he'd gone to New York, like so many um, Jewish immigrants. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is how it, it evolved. Um, nothing to do with the, you know, Philadelphia in, in America. It's actually from New York. Ah, is that interesting? Yeah. And so would you ever make cream cheese yourself at home or would you just buy, I mean, in in, in a Jewish household or would you, is it just something that you would buy because it's readily available and to a quality that you like? Well, there's, there's an answer on this one. I was actually speaking to my mother who is 91. I was speaking to her to, 
today about this and she was telling me that um, when she was a little girl, they did make it regularly. And what happened was when the milk went off and it went sour, you had to actually put it um, in muslin and let it drip. Mm. So you'd divide the curds and you would make, and that's what they would use. They'd leave it probably overnight or even until it dripped and separated. And this is how they used to make it themselves. Do we make it now? No, not really, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. um, I still make very, lots of other classics, but cream cheese, no. But we have some wonderful uh, kosher cheeses available. Fresh cheeses are just, because they're quite simple, you, they are one of the cheeses you can actually make really successfully at home. But, you know, but you don't need to if you can buy good fresh cheese. So then that's not... I mean, it was actually very interesting because on the Paneer programme, there were two Indian food writers based in Britain, um, Rupa Galati and Ravinda Bagal, who were talking about making it, in fact, recommending that you made it because they felt it was much nicer than shortboard. And then a food writer in India called Mariam Rishi, who was sort of amazed that anyone gave to the trouble of making it because she can buy, you know, really good fresh paneer. So it just shows it's sort of, it's partly where you are, isn't it? And what shops you've got, you know, the access to ingredients, isn't it? Brilliant. Well, Denise, thank you so much for those insight into a sort of classic element of, of Jewish, of Ashkenazi cuisine. So it was really, really love to hear your, your stories. Thank you. Thank you very much. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. This week on A Slice of Cheese, we're exploring fresh cheese. And it's a really interesting family of cheeses. And I'm very happy to have with me today, all the way from Tuscany, Julia Scappaleggia, food writer and cookery teacher. Good morning, Julia. Hi, good morning. Good morning. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, it's lovely to have you on the show. And Julia, I wanted to ask you about a very particular Italian fresh cheese, which is mascarpone, which mm. is such a, a rich cheese. <laughs> so I started to laugh as I thought about it because it's yeah. so rich. <laughs> yes. So tell me about mascarpone in the Italian kitchen. What what place does it play? I mean, it's very smooth and yeah, incredible texture, yes. isn't it? Yeah, It is uh, rich, creamy and it's slightly, uh, slightly sweet. So mm-hmm. it doesn't have the pungent, um, pungentness of, of our cheese. But mascarpone, uh, I like mascarpone spread on bread with some chocolate spread on top. I have to admit ah. this. It's a, <laughs> it's a trick from my childhood. Yeah, That's nice. What, instead could... of butter, use mascarpone yeah. in a way. And then, ah. of course, chocolate on top. Yes. But a thick, la- a thick layer of mascarpone and a thick layer of chocolate. And then you bite into the bread and it's like a perfect dessert on its own. Like simple as that. And this is what my mom would make me once in a while uh, to a very special treat when I was a kid. Because you could buy mascarpone at the supermarket. Very nice pub, very easy. You know, you bring it back home, you spoon it on bread and then you put some chocolate on top. Done. You have a cake, <laughs> basically. And is, is that piece uh, of chocolate, spread. Julia? Or chocolate spread? Right, right. Chocolate well, like, spread. That sounds, that sounds lovely. I can imagine that yeah. being a, cause I, yeah, a real treat. I can remember eating bits of bread with with dark, with dark a square of chocolate, you know, with a friend. It'd be like, a, we'd butter, it'd mm-hmm. rather similar, actually. we'd butter the bread and then mm-hmm. eat that and take a bit of nibble of chocolate, a piece of chocolate, so it's a different texture. But it was really nice. It's a lovely combination. Yeah. And, and now my grown-up yes. version is yes. a salty, salty focaccia, just bake in our wood-burning oven. Then oh. you put mascarpone, you put chocolate spread, a drizzle of extra virgin olive oil and a sprinkle of Maldon salt. That's my wow. grown-up version. That <laughs> of sounds my very favorite. classy. Mm-hmm. I am going to have to copy that, except sadly I don't. I probably won't be making my own focaccia. Well, I could try. Yeah, I have made focaccia. It is such a, yeah. it's a lovely bread. <laughs> a very so, yeah. crisp, crisp one, yeah. Ah, nice. Okay, mm-hmm. mouth-watering here. And mascarpone <laughs> is used... You see it used in desserts, don't you, in Italian cuisine? What, what are the iconic ways to use it? Yeah, well, you can use mascarpone also uh, to stuff pasta. I remember 
tortelli stuffed with mascarpone and radicchio once in Emilia Romagna. Ah. But the favorite way of using mascarpone in Italy is for desserts, yes. And for the most classic traditional dessert is tiramisu. That's ah. probably why you buy mascarpone usually, to make tiramisu. That is literally why I have bought mascarpone, I must admit. <laughs> so years ago, you know, when I was starting to cook, I had a cookbook by Antonio Caluccio and he had a recipe for tiramisu. And I, in those days, you had to go to an Italian daily. You couldn't get mascarpone in any supermarket. No, I could. And I trotted off and bought it and made this. And it was like, I'd had tiramisu in Italy as a child, but I'd not made it. And it was really like, oh, wow, what a dessert. Yeah. So t- tell us, yeah. talk us through, I'd love your insights, Julia. You're such a good cook. Tell us, how how does one make a good tiramisu then? Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a difference in between the, mascar- the tiramisu you make at home and the tiramisu you buy in restaurants, for example. Mm-hmm. And the difference is raw eggs. Uh-huh. Growing up, we always use raw eggs to make tiramisu. Now yeah. I know, you know, um, it's not safe to use raw eggs. So I'd suggest to buy pasteurized egg yolks and pasteurized egg whites. But growing up, we always used fresh eggs to yeah. make tiramisu and use them raw. That was you know, the way we would make tiramisu and the secret behind its lightness because oh. you don't use whipped cream, you use whipped egg whites. That's why it was so light and like, right. like a cloud because you had ah, the raw lovely. eggs inside. So you separate the yolks from the from the whites and then you what so you then you mix the yolks into the mascarpone but then you whisk the whites do you is that right so first you separate uh, the there's a golden ratio it's one egg one tablespoon of sugar 100 grams of mascarpone cheese Hmm. and the first thing you do is you mix egg yolks and sugar until creamy so i always say rub some of the mixture in between your fingers if you don't feel the grains of sugar it's perfectly minutes. So yeah. always be sure to mix the sugar properly. Mm. Then you add the mascarpone. Separately, you whip the egg whites and then you fold the egg whites into the tiramisu. And then and basically you have the tiramisu cream. Lovely. And then would you use Savoyardi biscuits for the Oh, Savoyardi. Yeah. <laughs> There's, a, you know, two teams in Italy. One side ah. you have Savoyardi, the other side you have Pavesini. Oh, I'm on the okay. Savoyardi team. <laughs> me too. I think. Too sweet for me. <laughs> right, that's interesting. Yeah. So the, we should explain this bit. They're like sponge, English sponge fingers, um, a Savoyardi. Exactly. They? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. exactly. So. And the so, difference and, is the Pavesini are very crisp. Ah, okay. Right, that's interesting. And what, so then talk us through so, the rest of the of the making. Yeah. Yeah. So you soak the Savoyardi in coffee. I like mm. to make espresso. I don't add water, milk, sugar, nothing. Black espresso. So you yeah. need quite a lot of espresso or made with a mocha. So you need a very intense black coffee. Right, okay. Because it's a perfect balance with the sweetness of the mascarpone cream. Mm. Uh, then you make layers. So the soaked savoyardi and the cream. And in between, I like to sprinkle some chopped dark chocolate. Because that's for ah. the crunchiness uh, and also another balance to the sweetness of the mascarpone cream. And on top, cocoa powder, unsweetened cocoa powder. So that's mm. how we make tiramisu at home. That's, and when you dip the Savoyardi biscuits in the coffee, how much do you soak? Do you let them really get sodden in coffee or, or do you keep it quite a light dip? A few seconds per side. They yeah. have to be soaked on the outside, but not right. completely because they, it's always better to let them, the tiramisu rest for a few hours. So if they are completely soaked, you will get a very soggy tiramisu. So just for a few seconds. Right, so a brief encounter with coffee and then in. Yeah, good, good. It's all these little touches, isn't it, that make, you know, it's so interesting. So what makes a dish work well or not is so fascinating. So, yeah, that sounds, I mean, it is a classic. Does it, do you know about 
the history of tiramisu? I mean, what, what is the story of tiramisu? Is, is there a story of it? Tiramisu has a very recent story because invented in Veneto, in compared to other iconic, the Zuppa Inglese from Tuscany or Emilia Romagna, it has a very short story. So from the 60s, 70s. Ah. Uh, but it's such a classic that almost every family in Italy has its own recipe for tiramisu. <laughs> I mean, it is a delicious, isn't it? It's just a wonderful example of, of, of cheese in a dessert, I think, isn't it? So, yeah. We would make tiramisu uh, for every family gathering to make. You can make that in advance and keep that in the fridge. And so just it's ready when you need that to serve that. Wonderful. Oh, well, listen, Julia, it's been so lovely to talk to you. Thank you for sharing your insights in how to make a glorious tiramisu. Um, so take care. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Julia. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. Thank you so much for listening to A Slice of Cheese. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have enjoyed it, it would be lovely if you could rate us on wherever you've found this podcast. It will make such a difference to us. So I hope you'll enjoy us again. Thank you very much.